This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, August 4th, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. After a confusing rollout of ranked choice voting in New York's mayor's race, how does the case for it stand up now? Adam Kissel, a senior fellow at the Cardinal Institute, argues that there are real upsides to ranked choice voting that, balanced against the New York experience, continue to hold promise. Ranked choice voting gives voters a chance to vote not just for their top candidate, but to rank their second, maybe their third, maybe their fourth top-ranked candidate. And if your first-choice vote doesn't have enough votes to win, and nobody has enough votes to win, then the lowest vote-getter is removed. Anybody who had voted for that lowest vote-getter now gets their second-best choice. And then you continue that through different rounds, until you have one winner in a in a single winner situation who finally has more than 50% of the vote. And what changes about elections when you do that? What do we know from experience? We don't have a huge amount of experience, but we have enough to know that you reduce the cost of elections because you reduce the need for a runoff. You get an instant runoff. That's something that happens every time if otherwise you would have had a runoff. Two, you can have voters vote their conscience. So instead of trying to game it and saying, well, the candidate I really want has no chance, so I'm not even going to put that person's name down, I can now put that person's name down and I can put down as my second choice the one who is my second, my real second choice. So you get better revelation of voter preferences. And then it's more speculative. We don't really know. But people think that there's more civility in elections because if you're going after somebody's second vote, second choice vote, then you need to be friendly to that candidate, uh, uh, to that candidate, that person's first choice of candidate, so that they might actually vote for you as their second choice. So candidates will be nicer to each other so that they can earn spots two and three on individual ballots. Right. Is that I, the, that's the thinking? That's the thinking in the civility area. It's I don't know if it's been tested yet. And it's really hard because each election is a unique animal. So what would have happened in a different situation? You just can't do a randomized control trial of a particular election. So you don't know. But you can guess on civility. You can be pretty sure about cost. And I think you can be pretty sure about voter conscience. Where has this been implemented? Uh, did Maine did Maine adopt ranked choice voting? Right. So Maine has it. You have uh, state level uh, thoughts about it, and you have localities that are choosing to do it. I don't have that list in front of me, uh, but when New York City, you know, tried to do it, they had trouble with their elections board, and that gave RCV a bad name. That was maybe the first time that people really saw it in action across the country. So I think there's going to be a lot of challenge going forward for new localities choosing to do it, but I have some ideas for how to make it a better system so that the problems of New York City don't happen, or at least to the same degree again. Is West Virginia considering this? Is this a a serious topic of discussion? Not that I know of in West Virginia. I don't think it would be a bad idea at all. Um, You know, one of the issues for voters in general, as you know, is that voters are not very well informed about the candidates. 
So asking someone to choose their third favorite or fourth favorite candidate in a field where they barely even know the identities of the first two who are most likely to win probably uh, doesn't help voters that much. So what I would suggest for West Virginia or other localities or states is just ask voters to choose their top two. Uh, most of the time, that's going to have the benefits that you need, and it's not going to have the troubles of lots of complication and confusion. Uh, I, I guess in the places where this has been tried, uh, are voters allowed to only express one preference? Voters can put down as many names as uh, they're allowed spots for. So if the system says, look, we have 12 candidates, rank them 1 to 12, that could be the system. They could say, we have 12 candidates, rank 1 to 5, and that could be the system. My preferred is, with however many candidates, just pick your top two. Easy to understand, almost always still get to a winner. Um, more of a challenge if you have multiple winner, like if you have 12 people and five spots on a school board, that's a different animal. But most of the time, you get the benefits just by asking for the top two. I wonder if uh, Democrats and Republicans, you know, they don't, they prefer the other as the enemy uh, at the ballot box. And I can imagine uh, smaller parties, Libertarians, Greens, and others would uh, like ranked choice voting because it gives them a shot that they might not have had otherwise. Well, uh, I, so so what what are are there major party people who who believe that this is a good idea? My sense is that when a locality or a state chooses to do ranked choice voting, it's because the majority parties have agreed to do it. It's not the minority parties that knocked on their door and said, "Give us a chance." So it's much more likely that the the party in charge said, "Let's try to get this done for their own reasons." And it could be because of cost and civility. I think uh, for, call them third parties, the conscience issue is really the best uh, reason. So if I were advocating from the point of view of a small party, I would say, look, let us ha know how many voters voted for us as their first choice. You know we're not going to win anyway. We don't really have a shot. But I want to know how many people are voting for the crazy parties and not gaming their vote because they think it's a wasted vote. And then you can look at those trends and see what's really going on in your, your area. Would then, are you suggesting that there might be a convergence of views? That is to say, I need to be a little friendlier on this issue than that issue because I don't want, I want to be able to scoop up the second choice votes of this smaller party candidate. I think you might end up finding that candidates are reverting closer to the mean in their policy positions, for better or for worse, depending policy by policy. But you know, if you're gaming it out as the candidate, and we saw a little bit of this in New York City, where a candidate said, "You know, I'm I have this semi-alliance with these other candidates. Vote for them second and third after me, because everybody's trying to jockey for position." Uh, but I think you're right that. Some of that jockeying will include moderating positions so that you can get uh, other people to put your name second or third. You might find in some cases, as you suggest, that someone chooses a more extreme extra position thinking that maybe they'll lose some of their 
votes over on one side of the aisle, but then they'll pick up some on the other. Uh, even if there's a, a really unusual issue where you say, you know what, I can pick up all of the libertarian second choices or all of the Green Party's second choices if I just say this other thing. So we might see some of that as well. So if you're interested in what made New York City so much trouble, it wasn't just the elections board, but I would say it's two things. One is lack of same-day results, which hurt legitimacy. And one was lack of transparency so that you didn't really know what was going on and they just told you what was going on. So I would say, especially if you're more of a conservative and you're worried about legitimacy and fraud, you say, you know what, we can do ranked choice voting, we can get it to work, but you have to let the people see the software. Of course, it needs to be secure where it's being used, but everybody needs to be able to see the software and see the actual votes without people's names on them so that if somebody who's good at computers and good at the calculations can redo the work of the elections board, they can come up with the exact same result as the elections board. So you have full transparency and no chance for fraud because of that, at least at the point of counting votes. And then, you know, computers are fast today. This is in 1950. So all of the number crunching can be done same day. So all the votes need to be in in time to be able to count them that day. So you're not doing what you did in New York City, where a week later, two weeks later, you're saying, well, we're still waiting for the rest of the votes and we can't do the real calculations until the last vote comes in. That just opens the door to too much perception of fraud as well as actual fraud. So if you can overcome those, and I think it's pretty simple to do, then you have a level of legitimacy that overcomes the the troubles of New York City. Okay. All right. Well, uh, one concern that I have, you're talking about uh, perceived legitimacy. One is that uh, a whole host, a whole lot of voters might be surprised at who wins. And... Um, you know, they might all say, well, this guy was my second choice, but I didn't think seriously that he was going to win. Well, I think one of the concerns about ranked choice voting is that it's hard for voters to understand compared to a single vote, winner take all, and then just go to a runoff if you have to. But I think it's not really that hard if there are only two choices. You choose your first choice. If that person isn't winning, you get your second choice. And if you didn't vote for either of those two, then whoever your original first choice was, that's recorded as your vote. I don't think that's so challenging. And if you're paying attention just a little bit, you know, to even care what the result is, you are consuming some media and they're telling you what's going on probably day after day. And so you're probably getting it. Uh, it might be a, a little bit more challenging if you want to try to understand an algorithm that has seven or eight uh, steps to it. And that's why I think an algorithm that just has the two steps is plenty. And it also gets you most of the results you want. How do you suspect this would affect spending on campaigns? I can imagine a, a third-party candidate could could engage in a very low spending campaign and still get a lot of second-choice votes. I think that's true. We're a lot of first-choice votes. And first of all, the lack of a runoff means that the elections board saves a bunch of money, but then the candidates who would have gone to the runoff save a bunch of money. And uh, 
the money that they would have spent, say, on media ads doesn't go to media who they may not have liked in the first place, which is where a lot of the spending ends up. So then in, also in terms of people's time and trouble, you have a ton of savings because you only have to think about the candidates once. You don't have to do it a second time. So there's a lot of benefit to the citizen voter. There's benefit to the candidates and there's benefit to the citizen taxpayer. Adam Kissel is a senior fellow at the Cardinal Institute. We spoke last month. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast pretty much anywhere and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.